And I shoot my shot and stuck on God where it's going in. Cross niggas like Bubba Chuck, I never gave a fuck. Hook shot a hole like Kareem, but I never lead a fuck. I hit that Janobi with my left hand all like, woo! Bitch, you were with me shooting in the gym. Wrong nights, I perform like Mike. Anyone, Tyson, Jordan, Jackson, action. James Harden with the range on me, nigga, way back. Michael Jordan, 1985, bitch, I travel with a cocaine search. And you can live through anything if magic made it. Hey, what's up? Here we go, get. What up, my fellow Knicks fans? This is your guy, Marcellus Ease. Don't panic quite yet. Now, the weather is switching up on us. The sundresses are slowly going away and being replaced by North Face jackets, Tim boots, and Uggs. Oh, well, you know what? With all that going away, at least our beloved New York Knicks are right on the trail to come on back. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's believe that. We about to get it in. Now, this week's quick hits, I'm going to go over our rivals for this season. As the Eastern Conference this season is looking mighty healthy, we have some old rivals that's going to be kind of relevant along with us this season that's going to make things a lot interesting. Plus, we also got new rivals from last season. We talked a lot of shit, but we're going to get to that. And also, I'm going to talk about mid-season trades. As in this year's past draft, we built up quite a few assets. We have a lot of things in the tuck as far as draft picks, and we have a deep roster this season. And with a few key pieces signed in long term, that's going to allow us to actually match salaries and perhaps trade for a very valuable asset. And we're also going to hear from the man himself, Kimball Walker, as he talked about how he reworked his shot during his career. And also, he's going to give us an update on how that knee is looking in the history of it. And also, you know, I got a hit on Las Vegas because the disrespect is unreal. They predicted the Knicks to be at 41 or 42 wins for the season. Meanwhile, they gave the Celtics 46 wins over and under. That's unfucking believable because the Celtics just only added Al Horford. And that's got to be a Vegas trap for some of the Celtics fans because my fellow Knicks fans, we already know which way we're betting. And at the end of the year, we're going to be hitting up them casinos like, Tell them to bring me my money. And last but not least, we're going to hear from Carmelo Anthony as he goes down memory lane and talks about what happened in that fight at Master Square Garden in which he was playing for the Denver Nuggets and they were just basically running up the score on the Knicks and Nate Robinson, J.R. Smith was getting it in the crowd and he sucker punched Maurice Collins. So he's going to kind of give us an insight what was going on behind the scenes and what kind of led up to that fight. But before we get to my weekly quick hits, I want you guys to check out the description below, the Pan Nick Discord community group chat. Definitely sign up and check it out. And also my weekly gems. You guys can download a bunch of good stuff straight into your phone from weekly music playlists to cooking recipes, things on fashion, books on business. Everything's on the cloud exclusively for you guys to check it out. Because I know a lot of you fellas out there got a lot of different hobbies and interests. So definitely check it out. Now, back in 2019, I kept on emphasizing that the landscape of the Eastern Conference had changed once Kawhi had joined the Raptors. You saw Jimmy Butler also join the 76ers and Kyrie was on the Celtics. And also Giannis started to mature and come to his own 
while playing for Milwaukee. So the top end of the Eastern Conference, especially in 2019, you can make an argument was much better than the top end of the Western Conference. And ever since then, as the years go by, we've seen certain players come to maturity and the Eastern Conference from the middle pack on is starting to become a lot better. Now, why am I saying this? Is because this season, the Knicks are going to have some rivals new and old. And first, I'm going to start off with our main rival, which is going to be a new arrival for the Knicks, and that's going to be the Atlanta Hawks. I'm not sure if some of you guys seen, but this summer, I'm not really into the WWE wrestling, but Trey Young had actually been part of the WWE event in Madison Square Garden over the summer. He actually embraced this Madison Square Garden evil character that he wants to be. So Trey Young got to understand, especially after last season taking that bow in Madison Square Garden, the Knicks definitely not going to let him escape with that. This season, especially with the rule changes where he can't get those ticky-tack cheap fouls, where he's running into guys, jumping backwards, or leaning in into guys anymore, he's going to get confronted, and it's going to be a lot more difficult situation because best believe we're not letting that fucking I'm bowing down, getting flowers like I'm a part of a Broadway play or whatever the hell he was saying. He's going to get pressed about that. And he's going to get pressed enough where his voice might even start switching up. That was a mistake. A generally general mistake. I raised my hands up. I said that. I'm sorry. And I apologize. I really am uh -huh, apologizing. Uh -huh. Yeah, for Trey Young, this season is definitely not going to be the same, especially when we have Mitchell Robinson. If he could stay healthy, he could really be a force in the paint to provide that protection, especially dealing with Clint Capella, who was talking shit as if he was a center, like, like he was a bona fide center or something, because every time he goes up against a real center, this guy is crickets. But there was a lot of shit talking from both of these guys, and the Knicks kind of alleviated some of the issues that they had last year as far as outside shooting and also having more protection at center. Once again, Mitch Robinson will be back, and we can combine him with Nerlens Noel as long as those two guys stay healthy. But the Hawks are further along in their rebuilding phase than the Knicks are. They were the team that actually spent the most money in the 2020 offseason. And they also added this year Dion Wright to kind of alleviate Trey Young on the defensive end. And also, they're going to get a couple of key guys back with health, a.k.a. Cam Reddish. That's unbelievable. They just had him on the bench last year, but he was not healthy. And hopefully this year, that team does not deal with as many COVID issues as they dealt with in the past. But they are a deep team. We've seen last year, even guys off the bench like Kevin Herdier actually lead the Hawks past the 76ers, ironically. And they also have Lou Williams off the bench, guys like DeAndre Hunter. I mean, DeAndre Hunter, believe it or not, defensively especially, he's much better than Cam Reddish as far as playing for this team like he's on a much better position to be a more useful guy right now for the Hawks than Cam Reddish but Delino Gallinari his shooting surprisingly was spotty and the Hawks I would not be surprised if they try to end up moving him but they gave John Collins also an extension uh which is pretty good like I said this team is very deep uh they also have a draft pick from 2020 and a Kongu that they also have to develop. But this team, once again, is very deep. Trey Young does not have to do as much scoring as he did before, but he will be playing the Knicks under different circumstances this year. We can spread the floor out with our shooting. Also, Mitchell Robinson could provide much better paint protection than we had before, especially with all the weight that he gained. He's not going to be getting tossed around like before. And most importantly, with Trey Young, 
he can't take advantage of the old rules like before jumping into guys leaning sideways jumping into threes like all this bullshit that he used to do he used to dribble past guys then he would take a step back into the person and try to draw a foul all those moves will be illegal this will be a great fun matchup for the knicks and i do have the hawks rated as our number one rival for this season and even the nba knows it because they got us under a christmas game against the hawks so it is what it is our next top rival which i have is a rival that's been long awaited for these two teams to be relevant again and that's the chicago bulls and man oh man chicago's versus knicks this season is going to be nice and sweet best believe that and i see chicago man shy town is hyped they're looking at the rosen they're looking at levine they're looking at what they used to average and they're going crazy they're like, oh we could beat the knicks for sure because of, you know the numbers the numbers the numbers the numbers but wait hold on shy town not so fast i better hold on to your yeezy hoodies and jackets and army fatigues or whatever y'all got over there because there's a couple of things we got to look at here first of all chicago man who's playing defense for y'all <laughs> that's one thing i'm always asking and some of y'all three-point shooting i understand man lonzo ball doing his thing his three-point shot does look a lot better why are you guys going to be relying on that for the whole season and i know you guys are loving your guards especially with the combo offensively with vucevic down low i mean you guys should put up a number of points but defensively we all know vooch is your weak point so that's been causing an issue for you guys all last year especially with zach levine you guys gotta ask yourself it took this guy so many years to at least win four games in a row i still think he didn't win four games in a row yet or maybe last year he did for the first time but he was in the league for more than six years and never won four games in a row so that's something you know chicago really has been struggling with even to close out games this team is not that good closing out games and they turn the ball over a lot so i'm not sure if the rosen could even help you out with that as much maybe in the mid-range but still defensively what is he really going to do for you guys and also with chicago coming off their bench who's shooting threes for this team you guys are going to rely on that streaky young player that you got i wasn't in kobe white so chicago man should be very entertaining to watch but they may end up the same way like they were last year in which they just kept giving up points non-stop and shooters to space out the floor may be an issue for this team, especially from three-point range. They got Caruso, Lonzo Ball, DeMar DeRozan, and Zach Levine. Again, this will be an entertaining squad. And, you know, a lot of points will be scored. And a lot of points will be scored on this team. Best believe that. But the way Chi-Town, man, is just dismissing the Knicks. Like, we're not even close to being on their level. or We're not even on their level. That shit is laughable, man because this team has a lot of holes in it offensively defensively you guys turn the ball over a lot i mean it is what it is but you guys definitely made a splash in free agency by just signing some names but at the end of the day at least the knicks and the bulls are relevant at the same time and it's good to see that these teams will square off in a winter night and it'll actually mean something again i guess we're almost on the path of east coast basketball fully making its return and I can't be mad at that. Next up is an old time rival. We're gonna have to claw and fight and do all the sneaky shit to try to pull off and win against this team. And that's the Miami Heat. And what does good old Pat Riley got cooking down in Miami? 
Boy, Pat Riley be working his plays harder than North Korean soldiers, man. I mean, god damn, Pat, you got the technology down there, but you got boots on the ground. Fuck all that, right? He had Jimmy Beans, man. Looked like he was about to drago himself in the finals. I saw somebody in the sideline screaming, get him a Gatorade. Nah, but in all seriousness, the Miami Heat are going to be a very tough team to beat. For starters, they actually had a whole offseason to recover. So unlike last year when they just played in the finals in the end of October and then they quickly had to readjust and get ready for the start of the season by the end of December, they didn't really have that much recovery time. And you've seen how that team last year had to deal with a bunch of injuries. So they're going to be well rested and they're going to be pretty much ready for this season. And plus the addition of Kyle Lowry is actually a missing piece that they needed, which takes a lot of pressure off of Jimmy and Bam. So... That was a good addition for them. And also, I got to give it up to Pat Riley. Miami is actually very good at developing players in-house. You look at Tyler Hansborough and you look at Duncan Robinson. They just keep finding guys and keep developing guys that actually fit well in their system. And sneaky-ass Pat Riley was able to steal P.J. Tucker from the Milwaukee Bucks, which is probably the biggest mistake of the NBA offseason, is the Bucks letting him slide. That didn't make any sense. But the Miami Heat are going to be a much improved and much well-rested team coming into next season. So our Knicks got to be very disciplined against a team like that. And they got to stay very well-conditioned. Sort of like the North Korean soldiers when they be slamming their head through the bricks, man. We got to be like that going up against that team. Because they're going to be trying to win by any means necessary. As we've seen in one of our matchups against them last year, how Jimmy Butler kind of faked an injury. And then he was like looking at the camera and smiling. See, because they understood that the refs didn't have much respect for the Knicks because the Knicks are considered a young team. That was before the Derrick Rose trade when we had that uh, loss against Miami when RJ kind of missed that layup. So they kind of understood that. So that team is willing to pull all types of tricks to win, man. We got to be careful with a team like that. <laughs> Good old Pat and Jimmy boy, man. There's something else. And finally, one of the main last rivals I'm going to get to before my notable mentions is going to be the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> and boy, oh boy, this is a complicated situation with these Nets. I tell you that. First of all, I'm going to say this. Kevin Durant is by far the best player in the league, in my opinion. But in New York City, Julius Randle gets more love than Kevin Durant. There is no doubt about it. Now, before I get to the roster constructions, I'm going to say this about the New <laughs> I was about to say the New Jersey Nets. I should call them that. I'm going to say this about the Brooklyn Nets. They're sitting in a king's position from a roster standpoint, but also at the same time, they're sitting in a position of scarcity. It's very weird. <laughs> and only, <laughs> only Kyrie and KD can find themselves in this situation. But this team is. First of all, KD is invested into this team as he signed an extension with the Nets, but James Harden could opt out at any moment. And at the same time with this Kyrie situation, it draws a lot of eyes on James Harden as the pressure on him kind of mounts up. See, James Harden was kind of sitting quiet, just being kind of the, the ride along guy. But now all of a sudden with Kyrie out of the picture, it's like, yo, you better help Kevin Durant get to this promised land. And meanwhile, at the same time, Giannis does not even have the pressure of winning a ring since he already won one. So 
Giannis could actually operate more free this season, almost at a position where he has nothing to lose while going up against the Nets. See, James Harden has never even reacted well to pressure. So now he has to deal with Giannis, which is already a, a player that does not even agree with James Harden. They kind of have beef. But Giannis is at the unique position where he he could go up against these guys with no with not a care in the world, which is dangerous, which is dangerous for them. It's almost like when KD and James Harden go up against Giannis and Chris Middleton, Giannis and Middleton will be almost playing like a team that has nothing to lose. But yet they're the champions. This is a very weird dynamic that the Nets are in. And at the same time, the Nets are heavily invested into this team because they'll be repeat yearly offenders of going over the luxury tax, which is already another penalty on top of it. So not only did they double down by signing James Harden onto this team and going deeper into the luxury tax, meanwhile, while not being able to sell any tickets for the 2020 season, now they're going to be a repeat tax offender, which is already another penalty by the league uh, the, the percentages go up every year you go over the tax if you go over the tax three out of four years so the nets are definitely in line for that so they're going to be paying those penalties and at the same time they're already in year three of this whole kevin durant kyrie kind of movement to brooklyn and yet they see nothing pay out there's no dividend payments there's no championship appearances there's nothing so this shit has to start paying back and working because they're spending too much money on this especially going through a pandemic and now james harden he thought he was going to be along for the ride along and now he's going to be <laughs> the new york media is going to be looking at his ass like crazy saying hey james what are you doing where were you on this last second play you can't hide around like last year blaming it on a hamstring injury is this yet another playoff disappearance james see once the media starts kind of formulating these things around James Harden, we got to see how he's going to react to that pressure. And based off the way he reacted in Houston, when it came to playoff pressure or just last minute crunch time pressure, the shit wasn't good. And James Harden has not formally yet been introduced to the New York media. Let's make no mistake about it. He's been hiding behind Durant and Kyrie. And now with Kyrie gone, there's going to be more spotlight focused on him. Now this brings me back to the Knicks versus the Nets this season. And it's more than just looking at the rosters. Oh, yeah, the Nets got Harden. They got Durant. You have to understand, this Kyrie situation throws a monkey wrench into this whole thing because the Nets are a very top-heavy team. I mean, their team right now looks like the fucking old man Avengers, where they got to get LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap. I didn't even know Paul Millsap was still in the league. So, at center, this team is very weak, and that's going to be their very weak point. So, Mitch Robinson should be feasting on this team. They have nobody to really guard the paint, but those two kind of bulky, old power forwards. And if this Kyrie situation continues to play on like how it is now all season long, James Harden will begin to feel that media pressure, critiquing his every performance. And that's going to start weighing in on this guy because he has a track history of this. And best believe there's a reason why he didn't sign his extension yet. So he can still opt out and the New York media will begin picking at him. Hey, are you going to extend with the Nets? Are you going to extend with the Nets? What about your, your performances in crunch time? Why are you not doing this? Why are you not doing that? That's why I said this season is more than just looking at the roster with the Nets, especially going up against the Knicks. You got to look at a lot of other factors, especially internally with this team, which is supposed to be a very top heavy team. 
and their ownership has paid out a lot of money, especially through the pandemic, not selling any tickets, and they're not seeing any return on investment. Giannis already got his ring. So when Giannis goes up against Brooklyn, there's no real pressure on him to beat this team because no matter how he's judged, he's already a champion. So he has nothing to lose going up against the Nets, which is very dangerous, number one. And the Knicks, in a way, will be playing the Nets in a similar situation as the Bucks. Of course, we're not the defending champions, but we're free to do us. The Nets are going to get critiqued in a way because for the amount of money they spent and for the things that, especially the New York media, assumed that the Nets would be the talk of the town, they got to start seeing results. And once again, with the Brooklyn Nets, I believe their weak point, especially if things don't go right, will be James Harden and it will be attacking the middle of that paint with LaMarcus Aldridge and Paul Millsap. Like this team is looking like the Avengers, Patty Mills. You see, these signings weren't bad until Kyrie, that situation with him came about. That's gonna cause a major issue, and especially due to the fact that they can't replace Kyrie this season. So once again, the Nets are operating from a King's position roster wise but at the same time, they're kind of operating from a place of scarcity, especially when they're trying to buy guarantees like an NBA Finals championship, which owners like Steve Ballmer and the Clippers, they understood that that's not possible, especially in a city like New York, where the energy is one of one. The fan base is one of one. Everyone's seen that energy, how it looks like, how it feels when they saw game one between the Hawks and Knicks last season in the playoffs. It can't be duplicated. It can't be purchased or sold. It's truly one of one. Now, here are a few teams I would say that are not necessarily marquee matchups going up against us. That's because of the timetables that we're in. We're either ahead or behind these teams as far as rebuilding mode to making a truly a contending team. But first, I'm going to start off with the Toronto Raptors. This team in the future is going to be very interesting. But right now, they're dealing with Pascal Siakam. If he's an overrated, over paid player that they have right now he's not really living up to his contract the past two seasons but toronto this year are actually playing home games and in, the, in their home city that makes a big difference because players actually get a stable place to live they don't have to travel as much toronto i think traveled more than any other nba team last season because even the games that were in conference they had to take a flight to so their season last year was very unpredictable but i think this team is a sleeper team low-key I mean, they got Fred Van Vliet, who still, you know, is doing his thing. OG Ananobili is actually coming along great for this team. He actually has some crossover moves. His passing skills are up. His shot-making ability is up. And then low-key, man, Toronto, they got another steal in the draft, man. They were able to get, I think, the fourth or fifth pick. They got Scotty Barnes, which he's going to be a real official player. Once he gets his NBA body, this guy is going to be a serious problem. But the Toronto Raptors, they're, they're a young team, man. They're very... They're still very interesting. Another notable mention is the Philadelphia 76ers. Even though this team should be on their championship trajectory right now because this team is basically built to do it and they're going to have to take advantage of Embiid, especially his next three to four years because he might not be healthy after that. But they're just still holding on to this whole trust the process system by holding on to Ben Simmons. They need to let that shit go already. That is pretty much done. They're fortunate still right now to have a decent team, even after letting Jimmy Butler go, which is obvious now that they should have kept them. 
But this is still a very good team because remember last year Embiid was out and they still finished first. So Philly just has to build up Ben Simmons' trade value and perhaps get a shooter for him. Because right now, even with Ben Simmons on the team, I think they have a young player, Maurice Tybal. You know, they still don't have that perimeter shooting. And that's really what's hurting this team. Because keep in mind, last year, they got killed by the Hawks by Kevin Herdier. I mean, he came off the bench and just pretty much smoked that team and closed that series, which is very odd. But when the Knicks do go up against Philly, it'll be great if we could just outshoot this team, especially with Kimball Walker. If he continues shooting his threes at an efficient rate, same thing with D Rose, quickly, Evan Fonier, Toppin. I mean, we pretty much could shoot this team out the gym because they don't have any perimeter shooters like that. But defensively, this team, this team is a problem, especially inside the paint. Mitchell Robinson don't get into foul trouble with Embiid, but Embiid is a superstar in the league. This guy can pretty much dominate. But once again, the 76ers are built to go to a championship. They're way ahead of us as far as the build rebuilding stage, but due to the fact that Ben Simmons, even though currently he's playing with the team, but he's still not getting along because he clearly got kicked out of his first practice. So it is what it is. We'll see how this plays out. But so far, it's still not looking good with Ben Simmons, and especially with a coach like Doc Rivers. In his last 10 years, his resume is not, it's not really that good. And he has lack of an imagination, especially making mid-game adjustments. And the last team I have in my honorable mentions is the Boston Celtics. They basically added Dennis Schroeder due to the fact that he couldn't get the contract he was looking for. And they added back Al Horford. They changed their coach into their GM. They got rid of Danny Ainge because of lack of an imagination. I mean, it's real strange that Las Vegas has this team winning 46 games and the Knicks only winning 42 games. You know, something doesn't add up. This team wasn't even better than us last year. Um, there's too much emphasis on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown lifting this team up to the next level, which they haven't really done. Remember in the bubble, they barely got past Kyle Lowry and Fred Van Vliet. And Pascal Siakam was playing like shit that whole series. So we have yet to see these guys elevate and go on to the next level. When they didn't have pressure on them that year that Kyrie was injured and they went to the Eastern Conference Finals against LeBron, they had no pressure on themselves. So, of course, they performed well, but once that pressure came on, these guys that very next season did not even perform anywhere near the same. But individually, of course, like many young players in the NBA, they put up great individual stats. They're sort of like in their early days of just collecting you know individual accolades but as far as lifting a team up to the next level they haven't really got there yet and the celtics low-key are in rebuilding mode so last season the knicks were way better than this team i don't know how las vegas has this team still up on 46 wins but i think that may be a trap and of course once again i always say this a lot of media members especially the nba media members are based in boston so of course they give this team a very good rep but as you guys seen earlier in my segments, we had a New England-based beat writer question what's going on in Boston, really? Because that question has never really been asked these past couple of years because that's a team in flux and in rebuilding mode. I expect the Knicks to pretty much dust this team during the regular season, even with Tatum and Jalen Brown. Of course, these guys are highly talented players, but I don't believe with the roster that's been constructed around them, especially just adding Al Horford, is going to really make a difference. So the October 18 deadline has came and went for the rookie extensions. 
for a lot of the draftees that came out that 2018 class and the Knicks did not offer Kevin Knox that extension at all so he will hit restricted free agency this upcoming summer now unfortunate for Kevin Knox he was supposed to participate in summer league this past offseason he did come down I believe with COVID so he was unable to participate it would have been great to see him in that to see if he could separate himself from some of the amateurs that were part of that tournament so we could see at least you know what has he been working on during the offseason it's very unfortunate for him hopefully he can at least start you know showing up during the regular season to at least make a bid and make a case to stay on the team now moving on with these rookie extensions i do want to touch base on a player that's not necessarily on the knicks but it could be a pathway for him to get on the team and that's colin sexton both he and the cavaliers failed to reach an agreement on the amount on the extension that he was supposed to sign so they're pretty much at a stalemate right now it's unfortunate because i don't think they're going to ever reach to an agreement because right now the Cavs they gave away a lot of money first of all they gave money to jared allen and they gave money away to larry marketing over 67 million so colin sexton is fighting for over a hundred million dollar extension and he won multiple years on that so it's going to be hard for the Cavs to even justify not giving him a decent amount of money because they already gave those two players who didn't even do half of what sexton does a good amount of money so sexton's like wow if they made all that money i'm worth maybe even twice as much so it's going to be hard for the Cavs to justify like no no you don't deserve that amount of money because they already gave the money away to guys that achieve half the stats that Colin Sexton put up but where there's a will there's a way because I'm seeing an opportunity for the Knicks to possibly step in here at some point next offseason especially due to the fact that a lot of the prize free agents is pretty much gone it's going to be a lot of like B minus B level guys that are going to you know make a plus money because of the scarcity in free agency next offseason and going forward you know it looks like the trend right now is going to be very hard for a lot of these guys to hit free agency due to the fact of the money is just so large you know either guys are doing signing trades or they're not really hitting free agency like that so if that Kimber walker situation begins to go left maybe the knicks could explore their possibilities of entertaining sexton at a decent price because he is the type of point guard the knicks are kind of looking for a guy that's going to score break down the defense kind of create his own shot he just kind of has to get his assist up and maybe tips can work on him with his defense but he is that type of point guard that the knicks have long been looking for and like i said before due to the scarcity of just available free agents the next couple of seasons sexton might not be that bad to entertain now kimball walker had did a sit down interview in which he discussed his knee issues and also him reworking his shot to be the three-point threat that we see today now it's very important that we hear from the horse's mouth directly because the knicks fans were still trying to figure out what exactly are we going to get from kimball walker today now let's not forget we're only two years removed from him being a prize considered max free agent that teams are going after that shit seems like it was a decade ago but it were only two years removed once again now you guys check out this segment and every once in a while i'll check in last couple of years you've been dogged by knee problems and i was thinking about it a, a few days ago i was like and i remember thinking about this in the bubble too and, and thinking usually there's like 
a big event that happens when knee problems start. Like somebody falls into a player, they tear their meniscus, there's a surgery. And I'm like, I can't, like, when did Kemba's knee start hurting? Like, what what happened? What is the source of all this? So what 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 is this? When did this start? Like, what actually has happened to your knee? How is it now? What what was the starting point? It's just, it's just over the years, you know, like I've had a couple of knee surgeries back in the day um, in Charlotte. You know, I think I want to say I had my first one in about 2015. Um, then I've played a lot of games. Like you have. In Charlotte, like I, I've played at one point, I think I've played the most games like straight at one point. And, and, a, and a heavy load on some of those Charlotte teams. Yeah, and that's that's all it is, man. It's just I, I play so much basketball. I've, I've had to do a lot throughout, throughout my career, you know. It's a heavy load, definitely, for sure. But keep this in mind. There's been very little playoff appearances in between that. I mean, you think of guys that do heavy loads, at least they're going to the conference finals. You know, they're going deep in the playoffs. They may be losing in the finals, etc. But Kimber Walker's had heavy loads just, just in the regular season. And it's taking a toll on his knees. Um, and I wouldn't change anything for the world. I, I, I had so much fun, you know, doing what I doing what I did in Charlotte. Um that's 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 really all it is. You know, I, I just I just played a lot. I played a lot. It's a lot of years of me playing 82 games, not missing any games. Like and I, and I really took pride in that. I really took pride in playing every single night, and that's what I did, you know. And and then you know I kind of I had a rough patch in in Boston. Um, I think I, I I got sick one time. I got sick one time. I think I had the flu one time. Not the first day, my first day in Boston, I got the flu, and then after that, it wasn't it wasn't Corona at the time. It wasn't Corona at the time because I don't think it was kind of a big deal yet. But I got the flu, and then. From that point on, I don't know. Like, my knee just started to bother me and, you know, just had a few episodes and then we stopped the season. That was tough, right? We... That was tough for a lot yeah. of guys. Oh, that was tough. That was... It was definitely tough, but Boston, for some reason, they've been mismanaging injuries for a while now. You look at the Isaiah Thomas situation, and then once again, it happened with Kimber Walker. There's something going on over there. Super tough. That's That got me a little bit, you know, stopping and then we had to go right into the bubble. Um, which was tough. Then we had just a few months off after the bubble. Then we had to go into another season, you know, which was tough. So the last couple of years just been rough. Not not on me specifically, but just on everyone, you know. So and it happens, you know. Guys go through injuries all the time. You know, I'm I'm not the first, and I'm not, and I won't be the last. So you know, I'm just trying to deal with it as best as I can. How is it now? And like, what's a reasonable expectation for games this year? For do you want to play every game this year? Like, do you feel like you could? I would love to. I would right now, yes. My knee feels really, really good. You know, I, I've literally done everything I can to 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 make myself feel as good as possible. Um, so far, Kimber Walker's played three out of four of the preseason games that we had. Now, if you look at the one preseason game that he missed, we only had two days off in between the games, and that's the one that he clearly missed. So I don't know if the Knicks are trying to ease him in or if that right knee is still not quite ready yet. But once again, we're still trying to figure out what exactly can Kimber Walker do for us today and what are we getting? And these guys are with the, these guys, the trans over here are, are doing a, their best job to, to make me feel as good as possible. So yeah, I've been around, I've been in every single practice. Um, you know, I played in two preseason games. You know, I got some rest last night, obviously. Um, but I'm, I'm ready to go. I feel good. I'm ready to get this thing started.
Now, one key concern of mine was when Kimball Walker got traded to OKC and how they dealt with him. It kind of said a lot because keep in mind, OKC is a franchise. They're very wary of how they spend their money. They don't waste any money and they don't like to spend too much. Now, remember when CP3 was in OKC, they did not want to give him a buyout. And Kimball Walker, when he got traded to OKC, he had a number of years left on his deal. And yet they gave him a buyout. And he's going to sort of explain of what was going on behind the scenes when he got there. It seems like they were examining him and just checking out that knee and seeing how it was like. Um, I was. I was a member of the Thunder. I was because I, I actually went down there. I was in Oklahoma City. Um, I went to the facilities, met a lot of the staff members, and they were unbelievable in the time that I was with them. Like, literally unbelievable. They took such great care of me. Um, now, players, say that, players well. say that about Oklahoma City. What does that mm -hmm. actually mean? Like, when you say they take good care of me, like, you get there, you're new, you're a veteran, you clearly mm -hmm. don't fit the timetable, right? So, like, what, what does that mean? You pick you up at the airport, they help you find a house. Like, what does that actually mean? So, for me, in my instance, it's my knee, you know? So, you know, I go, as soon as I, as soon as I get traded to them, you know, first of all, I, I get a call and, you know, it's Sam. He's great. He's great. Like he's super honest. Um, doesn't sugarcoat anything, which is what I love. You know, I don't, I don't, I don't want anything to be sugarcoated. You know, I want to hear the truth and I want to hear how you really feel. And he was, he was, he was, he was a hundred percent with me. You know, from from day one. And he, the 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 training staff when I got there, you know, took great care of me. Like they set me up with doctors. They gave me just basically whatever I needed to. To, to, to get my knee on track for the time being, you know. Now, it's funny because to me, they're just trying to figure out what's the situation with that knee. Because the Celtics seem like they kind of rushed Kimba back to the playoffs, especially in that bubble. Once again, the Celtics, they kind of now have a, a history of mismanaging players' injuries. You look at how they let IT kind of play himself out of his own career and how they managed Kimba Walker, especially coming back in that bubble as they felt the pressure was on for them to try to go after the NBA championship, especially due to the fact that at the time, the championship was considered wide open because of that bubble atmosphere. With them for long, I might've what, a month maybe? But for that month, like I was on the phone with these guys all the time. Like, and they were always calling and, hey Kemba, how you feeling? Do you need anything, this and that? And that's, that's great. You know, that's great. You know, they, they didn't have to do that because you know, obviously they, they knew that I wasn't going to be staying there, you know, so they didn't have to do that, but they did for the time being. And I respected that a lot. Now, let's also keep in mind that the Knicks do have connections to OKC because one of uh, the people that's working under Leon Rose, Frank Zanin, one of the scouts, he used to work right under Sam Presti in OKC. So they do have a relationship there with that franchise. As you could look at our past two drafts, we have made moves and making swaps with OKC, especially I believe in this year's draft, we made at least two swaps with OKC. So we there is a relationship there, but you also gotta ask yourselves, did the Knicks have inside information on what was going on with Kimba? Were they kind of involved in that buyout? Because they did give Kimba a little hefty price on that one year deal. Um, Boston, I, you might, I don't know how much you wanna answer this, but why? 
So why is there something always just seems off in the water in Boston? Like, and everyone blamed it on Kyrie a few years ago. Then Kyrie leaves and it's still, you just, it just feels like there's angst. There's a lot of angst all the time. Like even Brad steps down, Dared steps up, Danny steps down, Marcus Smart missed a flight today. You had the thing in the bubble where there was like, Marcus was screaming at people in the locker room and it got out. Like, is there, what? why is there always something muddy in the water there? You know, it's funny how Zach Lowe asked that question because a lot of the NBA media, I always say this, a lot of them are based in that New England, Boston area, especially with all those damn schools in Boston, you know, just breeding all those writers, those beat writers, and those people who cover the league. Now, it's funny because Zach Lowe, he has a lot of history. He even grew up in that New England area, raised in Connecticut. He went to school, I believe, in Maine or New Hampshire. So he has a lot of history in that overall New England area. And I'm pretty sure he probably reps the Celtics. I'm not sure about that, but his background says he possibly does. But it's funny he asked that question about the Celtics because they've only really added Al Horford. They lost perimeter plays like Kimball Walker and Evan Fonier. But yet Vegas has them at 46 win total. And they have the Knicks at 41, 42 wins. That's amazing right there. I'm still I'm still kind of perplexed about that. I don't understand. Boston didn't do anything to improve. And Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum didn't really quite take the steps necessary to bring that team to the next level. And even when they did have talent around them, they were barely able to even defeat the Toronto Raptors after losing Kawhi Leonard. So the Celtics is still an unproven team. I still believe a lot of the NBA media, which is Boston-based, it's still trying to convince us that Jason Tatum is some sort of star that's going up to the next level. And it seems like they're doing more convincing than just fans overall reacting based off what they see on the court. But it is what it is. I just went off on a tangent for a second. But that's just something to keep in note, you know, just keep in mind. I have no idea, man. I can't, I can't really answer that. Like, I don't know. I don't know. I'm, I am who I am. You know, I, I feel like I am like, the absolute most positive person there can be, you know? Um, I come in with a great attitude all the time. Like I'm always smiling, I'm always uplifting. And my time there was great. My time there was great. You know, I, I had great teammates. Like I talk to those guys all the time still to this day. Like to be honest, I didn't, I didn't know that I was gonna be traded, you know? and. I seen, I even seen stuff like, oh, we we had a mutual agreement on the trade. <laughs> like I even seen like, like peaks. I seen something where they said people from my camp and uh, I don't know, man. I'm. Yeah, that's gonna be a tough battle for Kimber Walker to fight because once again, a lot of the NBA media is based out of Boston and they they're gonna say what they have to say and they're gonna create the narratives that they're trying to create, and it's hard to go against them. And you can look at what's going on with Kyrie. A lot of the hate that Kyrie gets is from the sentiment of how the people in the Boston area feel that how he left the team. So it is what it is. I am who I am. And that's where I wanted to be because that's that's where I was. You know, I, I don't I never wanted to be a guy who who got traded. Like I just not something I was even even thinking about. So um, I can't tell you. I don't know. And that's also a franchise that's in the middle of being in rebuilding mode and they don't even know it. They got rid of the uh, GM and Danny Ainge because of lack of innovation. He had all them damn picks, all them assets, and he still didn't make a trade for any superstar. 
He was kind of 0 for 3 on Paul George, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard. Just no innovation from the Celtics at all. They're kind of stagnant. Uh, it is what it is. And they actually promoted their coach, who is actually unproven. And they actually made him the GM. I mean, he got the good coach label real quick, but he's really unproven even as a coach. But now all of a sudden, he's supposed to be a GM managing personalities. Well, he clearly could even manage the personality between Kyrie, Jason Tatum, and Jalen Brown. Now, this season, it's going to be very important, especially particularly for Kimball Walker, if his right knee, it doesn't really provide him with the burst that he needs to attack the hoop, especially, you know, to break down the defense to get other guys open. That jump shot is going to be really important for Kimball Walker, especially from three, to space out that floor. So he was asked about his jump shot. And us as Knicks fans, it's good to get a bat overall background and understanding of how certain things came about to give us a better understanding of what exactly are we going to get out of Kimball Walker today. Now, at that time of your career, people would go under screens on you. Your jumper was considered a liability. And I've written yeah. this before. I, I, I think what you have done with your jump shot is the, the biggest and most radical transformation of any player's jump shot I, that I think I've ever seen. Steven Silas told me this story. I don't know if it was your pre-draft workout or you just got into Charlotte. He was an assistant there and you were shooting NBA threes and, and you know, everyone's trying to like impress people at these workouts. Like, you know, I'm just trying to, I don't, even if you're struggling, you got to put out a tough, you know, bravado and you were struggling and you went to Steven Silas and we're like, yo, this line is far. Do you oh. remember? Is that, is that real? <laughs> that's true. That's real. That's definitely true. Yeah. Because you know what, for my pre-draft, I was shooting NBA threes, but I was like in this little gym in Long Island. So I guess it just wasn't the same, you know? Um, so when I got there, I'm just like, like, damn, like this line is so far. Like, but yeah, I mean, I didn't, I knew, I, I just, I'm, I'm a competitive guy. Like, and I love to be in the gym. So I knew one day, I knew one day that the jump shot would come. You know, I'm, I'm just, I, I love to be in the gym. I've always been a gym rat. So, yeah, I'm, and, and I like to have fun, you know, and they gave me that vibe, you know, as soon as I, especially Coach Silas, like, me and him connected right off the bat. So, yeah, I definitely went up to him like, man, like, this line is, this thing is far. Like, I had no idea it was this far. <laughs> That's a funny story, right? But there's, but there's your jumper coming along, right? And there's the transformation from guys are going under on screens on me versus X years later, it's like, oh, shit, we can't give him an inch of daylight from 25 feet out. Like, that's a, did you ever think you'd get that far? Nah, nah. I mean, I, I feel like I would be able to knock it down. Maybe like consistently shooting spot jumpers or something like that. But like, no, like, like off the dribble. And, you know, some of the shots I've made over my career, like, I even kind of surprised myself a lot on, 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 on some of those shots. I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be completely honest, but um, I put the work in. You know, I, I put the work in, man. Like every single day, in the summer times, you know, in the mornings before games, the next day after games, like. And it, and it wasn't, it wasn't easy. It wasn't easy because no. the Charlotte coaches no. told me, you know, we had to rebuild parts of his jumper. You know, mm -hmm. he used to shoot off his heels. We wanted him to shoot off his his the balls of his feet and i remember i don't know if it was cliff or somebody told me uh, x months into that he came up to us he's like I, this isn't working for me i don't want to do this yep. and they had to send you yep. they had to basically send you to cliff and be like go tell it to cliff and see what he said yep. right coach hats coach hats yep yeah i um coach hats who i i went to him 
I was working with Coach Bruce. Man, yeah, great, man. No, I'm, no, I'm, I'm shooting like, I've been shooting this way for so long, you know, my whole life. I'm shooting this one way, and then Coach Bruce, he comes, and he's like, you know, move the ball over, move it over. So, you know, he got me shooting differently, and it's, it's hard, you know. I'm trying to shoot this way consistently all the time now, and the first couple of months, I'm just like can't like I'm missing too much like I'm I could be because before I, I actually met coach Bruce you know I had this feeling of myself like okay I'm ready to work on my shot and I'm ready to shoot the ball well this year like I'm and then coach Cliff is like all right I'm bringing in coach the shooting coach coach Bruce he's gonna help me I'm like huh like okay so you know we're working we're working and I'm missing and the season is getting closer and closer and I'm just still missing these shots and it's it's just it's just bad. So I, I went to Coach Cass and I'm like, Coach, I don't think I can, I can't do this anymore. Like, I'm ready to just go back to my old shot. Like, I'm ready to go back to this old looking shot that I've had. I've been shooting this way for such a long time. I'm used to shooting this way. So he's like, don't talk to me. Talk to Coach Cl Cliff. So I went to Cliff's office. I'm like, Coach, like, I, I don't think I can do this anymore. And he's like, nah. He's like, he's like, you know what? Let's make a deal. He's like, just give it a few more months. Like, just give it a few more months. Just keep working with Coach Bruce and, you know, we'll just go from there. And I'm like, all right. I'm like, all right, that, that works for me. So, you know, we kept working. And I want to say we played in a – we had a game in Milwaukee early on that year, I believe. And I think I hit about three threes. I'm like, all right. I'm like, okay, a little something, you know. And then we had another game right after that, I think, in Miami. I think I hit about four threes. So I'm like, okay, this is, this, this is, this might be working. <laughs> this might be working. And, you know, it, just, it was all about confidence and, you know, just repetition. And that's what I did, man. You know, I, I worked so hard on it. And we, me and Coach Bruce were just always in the gym. And, you know, I just started to believe in myself, believe in him. The confidence started to come and you know, just kind of took off from there. And we started to see the difference because if you look at Kimball Walker in between the 2015 and 2016 season, his three-point percentage went up by at least 7% and has never went back down ever since. So it is what it is. Once again, we're definitely going to need Kimball Walker this season, especially if that right knee does not provide that burst. Because just watching him early in some of these preseason games, he doesn't have the same burst like he used to. And we're going to need him to space out that floor and be that three-point threat. So it is what it is. This was a great interview by Zach Lowe with Kimball Walker, I'll leave the link down below. You guys should definitely check it out. Some great questions asked. And just getting an overall background on Kimball Walker and what to expect this season. Now, the Knicks this past offseason have actually reshuffled their cards and aligned themselves to be in a position in which they could possibly make a midseason trade for perhaps a superstar player. Now, as we all know, this upcoming season, there's going to be available players like possibly Bradley Beal, or even Damian Lillard. But like I said before, the Knicks have reshuffled things around to actually put themselves in a position to perhaps go after these guys. And what I mean by that is that even though we signed guys like Derrick Rose, Kimball Walker, Alec Burks, and Nerlens Noel to multiple year deals, this actually sets us up to actually match salaries to perhaps make a trade for a superstar. Especially when you combine this with the fact that the Knicks also reshuffle the deck on their draft picks. I mean, if you look at our future draft picks, we have a future 
first in 2022 from charlotte we have our own first and then we have a second round pick from charlotte and our own and then in 2023 we have dallas first pick and we have our own and then in 2023 we also have four second round draft picks so we have a lot of assets to move around in case we make a trade for a superstar the only bad thing i would say about this and it doesn't have to be dame exactly or bradley beal but i'm just saying just know the acquisition cost of a superstar today is very high and that's due to the drew holiday trade in which the pelicans were able to get three first round picks out of it so ever since then the cost of acquiring particularly a superstar is very high you can look at the anthony davis trade which five first round picks including current first round picks were traded and the same thing occurred for the paul george trade so the cost of acquiring a superstar today is very high and when you look at all the draft picks the knicks could possibly give away and a player or two who can match the salary you also gotta look at some of the young assets that we already have on the team like rj barrett quickly perhaps grimes or even knox some of those guys may be pieces that have to go along with some of these first round picks that we have and some of the guys that we have that are already on our roster with high salaries like perhaps a Derrick Rose who's locked in for a few years or Alec Burks or Nerlens Noel. The package is going to be a combination of a few of these things and I know a lot of the fan base doesn't want to hear that RJ Barrett would have to go to get perhaps a guy like Dame but you'll be a fool not to think so. Because right now, the leverage is on the side of the teams that have the superstars. They're going to get a lot for them. So just keep in mind that if things begin to go left in Portland, and we hear that Dame is on the trade block and the Knicks are interested, just don't be too shocked if RJ is on that list of assets to go along to get Dame. That comes with the territory. And like Fat Joe, he keeps saying, yesterday's price is not today's. That's usually true because today's price is always going to be a lot higher. So it is what it is. So Carmelo had got with Wallow and Gilly the Kid. And he talked about the kind of backstory behind that 2006 fight at MSG that involved J.R. Smith, Nate Robinson, and how he kind of sucker punched Maurice Collins. So he kind of explained the backstory with that. And just keep in mind that around that time, Melo was kind of fighting an image issue. When he first came into the league, he was doing his thing. He actually led the Nuggets to the playoffs for the first time ever, especially as a rookie. But then his sophomore season, he kind of ran into situations where he kind of ran into that, you know, I still got to get love from the hood type mentality. He kind of had to get over that. Um, he got caught with weed at the airport. That was his homie's backpack. But then he walked through the security. He went back to his neighborhood and he was just hanging out with, you know, some of the fellas. But then they took the footage of him hanging out with them and they put it in a rap video, which was called Stop Snitching. So he had a few issues with his image and then also the drunk driving incident with J.R. Smith. But he kind of talked about, you know, his backstory and just kind of shed light on what went on in that infamous battle on December 1506 at MSG. You guys check it out. And every once in a while, I'll check in. You know, it's crazy. Like my mom, my mom still lived on a block when I was in the league. I drafted, and I used to be like, "Mom, we moving." She's like, "Nah, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going nowhere. This is what I know. This is this is our neighborhood, and we've been here forever. I'm not leaving." So every summer I would go back. I'm, I'm gonna get to your question. Every summer I, I would go back. I would be on in my neighborhood in my block because that's when I come was. home. No, because that's where I'm from. Yeah. 
forget where my mama was. Oh, okay, like I'm, okay. that's where I'm from. I'm coming home to show love to the hood. Yeah. And that was the energy that was kind of coming down from Allen Iverson. Allen Iverson was getting a lot of love from the fans because you know he repped where he was from, and it provided a lot of inspiration, particularly from some of the places where some of you fellas are from, or just Melo is from. You know, of course that hood love. But we've seen how sometimes that can get you caught up. And sometimes, even though it's genuine, it can get you caught into situations that could end up risking your life, as we've seen it play out for Nipsey Hussle. But just Melo getting into the backdrop before we get into this MSG story, he's kind of explaining you his sophomore year into the league, in which there was a few things, once again, he had to let go. Because keep in mind that in 2004, the league had the mouse in the palace incident. And then David Stern at the same time was trying to work the league into getting a large, large TV contract. The NBA in 2002, right before Melo came to the league, they signed a six or $400 million deal with Turner Sports and ESPN. And then in 2007, they were trying to renew that same contract, but for $930 million per year. So that was, was going to be a major bump. But the year before that, once again, Melo had that incident at MSG. He had all those kinks that he had in his sophomore year, which quite as kept his wife, Lala Anthony, had helped him clean up his image. That was particularly important for him to get married to her, and she clearly helped him out a lot. And then also, once again, in 2004, the malice in the palace. So all these things were kind of going against the league. And that's why David Stern in 2005 implemented that dress code. He was trying to clean up the NBA's image. That way, with the corporations, they can guarantee the NBA that, that large TV contract that they got in 07. And of course, as we see how it played out in 2016, the NBA got $2.7 billion per year. So once again, if you look back at it in 2002, they got a six year deal for 400 million. Then in 2007, 930 million per year. And then in 2016, they got 2.7 billion per year. So you see the differences and how much that image matters to the corporations because they're not gonna give that amount of money away if the NBA kind of has this thuggish image, which kind of came off that Allen Iverson era, in which Allen Iverson was getting, you know, a lot of love. He was basically the NBA's rock star, but they didn't want him to be the figurehead of the league. You know what I'm saying? And as I got older, I started feeling like survivor's guilt. It's like I made it, but I feel guilty for making it without and leaving y'all back here. So I brought everybody with me to the draft. I had probably had 35 people at the NBA draft from BMO and New York. Out of those 35 people, probably 15 of them dead right now. So I had to deal with that. And now that's not nothing to do with basketball. And when I got to the NBA, I still carried it like that is my point. I ain't care about basketball. I'm, I'm here, I made it. I'm already good. I made I shook David Stern's hand. Right. I got a Denver Nugget jersey. Right. I'm cool. Like, I don't right. give a fuck what happens after this. Right. And our niggas had the same mentality. Nigga, we here now. Right. Let's go. It's go time. We going. I stayed back in Baltimore my first year, two years in the NBA. People don't know this. David Stern had to call my agent and tell him, get him out of there. Right. What is he doing? Right. He doing stop snitching videos. He, you know what I'm saying? It was, <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I remember that. Yo. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> It's funny how Melo could clown about that now, but that was some serious shit back in the day. He actually did not do the stop stitching video. He was just hanging out in his neighborhood, and then people were just recording, and they ended up using that footage in the stop stitching video. 
And just like Lala back in the day that flipped that Mellow image that he was kind of messing up, Mellow's PR team currently were able to flip the situation with him not being able to get an NBA job into an opportunity to provide motivation to people with his new book, Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. And he's able to provide that, you know, inspiration and they're able to monetize it also, which this is pretty much what it's all about. You got to get him out of there, champ. You <laughs> they were just dropped 30 last night. Don't be telling on niggas. Yeah, yep. Fuck y'all so, doing out here. Um, at that moment, it was like, I had to really start taking basketball serious. Yeah. Because yeah. the shit started happening. It was fucking crazy. Yo, I had weed charge. I had a DUI. I had yeah. to stop snitching. That DUI was on J.R. Smith, man. J.R. Smith was wilding back then. I had... I had to argument with Larry Brown. Nigga you know, with TNT out the hood like <laughs> Turn that shit up. <laughs> but that was we the moment. We ain't the West Baltimore. We ain't the East Baltimore. We at the bottom, nigga. Stop snitching, you bitch ass <laughs> Yo, Gilly be wallet, but uh, you guys definitely check out Million Dollars Worth of Game. I'm going to leave the link below to this interview. Uh, Gilly and Walla, man, they're killing it. <laughs> they like mellow. Uh, they was third like, like they was third like, get that nigga. That was know. that was the moment, but that was the moment where where it became the hero and the villain. Braun mm -hmm. became the hero. Mm -hmm. I became the, the villain. villain. Mm -hmm. They needed to play off of that. But also, I became the villain, but I became a love villain. Mm -hmm. I had street love. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Any hook. Once again, that street love. That's, uh, that's off that Allen Iverson energy. That was an energy that was really, really going throughout the NBA around that time, especially in the early 2000s, man. That Allen Iverson, he's like the first Mick Jagger, the first rock star in the NBA. And once again, Melo is just one of the babies off, the, off that Allen Iverson tree, sort of like the way Trey Young is a baby out of the Stephen Curry tree. And he basically tried to follow and imitate that energy. But at every hood, but I embraced it. Right. Yeah. And that was a that was a difference. So I didn't want to. I didn't know how to be the hero. Right. You know what I'm saying. I right. knew how to be the villain. Right. The villain. And that's the only thing that I ever known until I started. I had to get older, four or five years in the league, and realize like, nigga, you tripping. Nigga, this chicken be taken away. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but when David Stern told me what the, the last incident was, the fight in the garden. Now, that was a backdrop to Melo introducing the fight into the garden. The reason why, once again, it was important for Melo to introduce that, it shows you what his mentality was before that fight into the garden, what he was trying to fight off and just kind of change his image. And once again, just going back to early part of the interview when he talked about how he was introduced to the league, you know, the rival to LeBron, the villain. That is very important thing low-key in the NBA right now is how guys are introduced like Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant was not introduced to being the rival of LeBron, even though he's more of a rival to LeBron than Melo ever was. But here's one thing that's very important. These NBA players coming into the league, the introduction of these players to the audience is very important because we see Kevin Durant right now struggling to even be acknowledged as a top-ranked player in the NBA right now, especially being a rival to LeBron. And even Stephen Curry, subconsciously, people don't think of him as a rival to LeBron because he was never introduced into the league that way. He was like, what, a sixth, seventh overall pick? And then Kevin Durant was like a second pick to Greg Oden. They just never were introduced as a rival to LeBron. But Melo, for some reason, because he was introduced to that guy to rival LeBron, he's still even considered a big name, even though 
he's out of his prime right now. So once again, that introduction to the NBA audience is very important. These storylines, people sometimes overplay them, say the league is too focused on the storylines. These things are very important because it actually sways the audience into view how they're going to view that player's career going forward. Right in the garden. And a brawl, it was a brawl. And I get suspended for 15 games. Wait, hold on. What happened though? Wait, I, I remember <laughs> this, but I don't, this is now clicking in my oh, mind. I'm, I'm going to give you the short story. Right. So we playing, then we're playing the Knicks in the garden. Isaiah Thomas is the coach. Yeah. Isaiah got beef with George Call. Yeah. Right? Now that's interesting. I'm not sure if some of you fellas knew that, but Isaiah Thomas having beef with George Call. And we know Isaiah Thomas, man. He got that, you know, infectious smile. You know, he's kind of charismatic. But that motherfucker low-key, man, is a snake. And when I say a snake, I mean, I don't really necessarily mean he's going to snake you, but that motherfucker will try to clap you when you're not looking, man. I mean, even as an NBA player, man, he had his ways. And a lot of players in that league did not like him. But, you know, he's trying to get back in the good graces of the NBA because he is an all-time player. In my opinion, I have him right behind Magic Johnson for all-time point guards ever. So I don't know what the fuck the beef is. They got beef. Mm -hmm. So in the game, Isaiah looks at me and say, yo, nobody go to the hole. Like, go to the, you crazy, nigga. This is, nobody better not go to the hole, right? We on the free throw line, the ball comes off, goes down the court. We get, if we get the rebound, fast break. We throw it to J.R. Smith. Now we up, we up, we, we busting the air, we blowing them out. J.R. gets in about to do something crazy on the break. And all I see is the kid run full speed down the court and grabs J.R. out the air. And he's talking about Nate Robinson, by the way. When that happened, J.R. get into it with him. Now, I'm looking at Isaiah. Yo, you a sucker for that. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. you don't do no shit like that. You a sucker for that. Like, you. But he's known for that, Melo. You know that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of those NBA legends, they tell you, man, around that time, you got to watch that motherfucker, man. He's smiling in front of your face, but, yo, he got he got his ways, man. You won't get yours. Like, you were just sucking for that. And now JR and Nate Robinson is in the crowd. Mm -hmm. So now I run over there. The coaches, everybody grabbing me, players grabbing me. And I'm like, nobody touch me. Like, And I think Jerry Jeffries or somebody grabbed my neck, like, and I blacked. Yeah, Jared Jeffries is ready to turn up on you too, man. <laughs> Best believe that. Melo knew that too. Jared Jeffries was willing to take it to that Ron Artest Malice in the Palace level. And the kid from Philly. The kid from Philly. What's his name? I ain't gonna do all that. Uh, <laughs> they're talking about Maurice Collins, man. Melo completely sucker punched that motherfucker. And once again, that, that shows you Melo's mentality at that time. He did not really care about his image like that. And once again, you know, shout out to his wife. I don't really like to talk about these players outside of the court, but his wife really helped him out a lot when it came to his image because she already came from a media background and she understood the importance of his image. As throughout his NBA career, you see that they really care a lot about their branding. And that really comes from her, particularly in this mellow situation. You know what I mean? Hold on, please, please, please. No, don't worry about nothing. Hey, yeah, you man, you can stop snitching. Man, we can pull this shit up on YouTube. This so I'll let you do that research. You, yeah. So <laughs> he said some crazy shit when I walked, but in the heat of it. It would take a Philly nigga. It would be a Philly nigga. Say, hey, he, he, said something like, nigga. Yeah, he said something like, nah, he said something like, fuck, like, fuck you running down here like you gonna do something for it. Like Ooh. that. Yeah, Philly shit. Oh, 
Yeah, you say some shit like that, man. You you some shit's gonna go down. <laughs> and I had and this the coach was on me, like with an arm, and I knocked his hand down. And at that point, I just swung. Like, yeah, Melo said, "Fuck my image. I'm supposed to rival LeBron right now, but fuck all that. <laughs> I'm gonna let I'm gonna let my pride speak." And I, and once again, that's that Allen Iverson energy, just getting that love from the hood, man. A lot of guys was falling for that. And David Stern. He's not like Adam Silver where he's going to let these players do whatever they want because his eyes was on the bag. And a lot of these players, I don't think they were even noticing that the NBA was trying to negotiate bigger deals. And that's pretty much what that dress code was all about. A lot of the players still bitch about it today, but no one's really bitching about that money where guys off the bench are making $10 million plus per year. Connected, and as I'm connected, I see three niggas is coming this way. So I'm like trying to get back. And Jared Jeffries is one of them motherfuckers coming that way. <laughs> he was ready to take Melo's head off. And anyway, long story short, David Stern suspended me out of everybody 15 games. Everybody else got like six games, seven games, shit like that. And I go speak to him like, why you why you do me like that? Let me tell you. Man, your rap sheet. A rap sheet? Man, look. NBA rap sheet. And also the fact that Melo is an NBA kind of asset. He's a figurehead. You know, he's supposed to rival LeBron. See, David Stern was looking towards the future. Melo might have, you know, Melo at that time, low-key, he was doing a lot more than LeBron was. I think he should have been rookie of the year. He led his team to the playoffs as a rookie. So Melo at the time, he was viewed as the person that was going to rival LeBron or even perhaps get further than LeBron was earlier in his days. Because if you look at the first few years Melo was in the league, particularly that 08-09 season going up against Kobe in the Western Conference Finals, Melo was doing his thing. And he couldn't just go out there and go fuck up his image. NBA shit. You want to be in the streets or you want to be in the NBA? Mm -hmm. This is what he told you. This is what he, in his office. You want to be in the streets or you want to be in the NBA? You fucking with a corporation now. Yeah, you're doing stop you're snitching. You're going to leave. You're going to leave that alone. I know who you with. I know where you live at. I know where they live at. I know when you close your eyes, I know when you work when you wake up. Damn. David Stern, man. That's that's one good thing I would say about Stern. A lot of the shit that's going on today, guys in the middle of the contracts, Ben Simmons, Kyrie Irving. Yo, David Stern would have put all that shit to bed. He's not Adam Silver on that, like, oh, let's have a little player, you know, empowerment. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, but you know, it gets tiring after a while, and especially when it's affecting the bottom line especially the fan bases. A lot of the fan bases are getting turned off with a lot of these guys in the middle of their contracts acting like divas. Damn. So I'm like, you know, and I know what they doing. He's telling me, I know what, I know what they doing. Mm -hmm. Either tell them to stop or you got to cut them off. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, damn, like how the fuck? Like, that's why I knew NBA was part of the feds. <laughs> <laughs> Yo, of course, Bella would say some shit like that. But of course, nigga, they're paying you a lot of fucking money, man. Of course, my G, they're going to know everything you're doing. You a major figurehead of the league at the time. He was going to be that guy to rival LeBron, which they already knew LeBron was going to be the face of the league because LeBron was already, you know, crafting his image to being that guy. You know what I'm saying? That's they, when I they knew. They got him in there. I know, I, I, and and he, the little one he with the little four or five. He told me. He was just like, <laughs> man, he said, I got I to gotta make, make an example out of you. I got to make you. I got to make an example out of you. Damn. That's the difference between David Stern and Adam Silver. But it is what it is. You guys definitely check out the interview below. I'll leave a link. And definitely check out Melo's book, Where Tomorrows Aren't Promised. 
it's a very good flip by his PR team to take that situation, which he was struggling to get on a team. And they were able to flip it into a good positive message, particularly for those in the hood and even people that come from different circumstances in which they could even gain some motivation from. So overall, it's a good positive message and they can also make some money out of it at the same time. So definitely it's a beautiful thing. Definitely check it out. You guys don't forget to check out the panic playlist page. There's other videos up there you guys could check out. And also don't forget to hit up the discord community chat. There's a lot of different things going on in there. And you could also send your gamer tag through the discord chat in which we could talk one-on-one -on -one personally about anything, basketball, fashion, business, art, we could feature it on the channel. So definitely check it out and it will be featured on chopping the sticks. So that's definitely for the community. All you guys could participate on the channel. We could chop it up over 2K, FIFA, whatever game you have, we could definitely make it work. But until next time, you guys stay safe. Peace.